Buenos dias, buenos dias, friends. I've been in Peru all week, so I'm speaking Spanish. I just found myself walking through the airport in America, being like, gracias, gracias, just like telling everyone, thank you, just in the, in the Spanish mode. So it's good, it's good. You know, this is just random. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I really have a heart to have a Spanish service or a Spanish church. I really do. Uh, within our body, that we can help plant that. We've been able to, in this space, actually help three new um, um, church plants get started in this very space, a Korean church, a Brazilian church, actually two Brazilian churches and a Romanian church, four, in this space. So that's been really cool of just like how guys, are, yeah, it's really cool that we can just be a part and partner with and just encourage them. And like I'm sitting down with one of them and just helping them work through their nonprofit stuff. And like they don't even have that stuff figured out. We've just got to give them a space. And uh, so that's been really cool. Uh, but I'm thankful to be back uh, here in the house. There's no place like Fathom. There's no place like home. Is it Dorothy that said that? So it's Pastor Kyle and Dorothy. Both of us think that. Uh, it, it really is. It's just special to, to be back. If you're a guest with us, we just thank you for being here. If you're getting connected at Fathom, I just hope that it feels like home to you, that this is a place you... You can grow in faith and family, if whether you're uh, listening online or watching online or, or you're right here in the house. We love you and excited that you're here. Uh, I want to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping, a couple of things. Hopefully, you've gotten uh, jumped into one of our, our new uh, hangout groups this summer. If you haven't, they just happened one week, so and they're, they're gonna, there's no heavy study, so you can jump right in. There's an online group that's going on. Uh, there's groups all over uh, the city, so find one that works for you. Jump on the website. Uh, I think there's actually some cards at that little table on the way back, too. You can grab Grab that if you're here uh, in the house. So grab one of those. Get connected to a group. Love what God's doing there. Just good hangs that are taking place. Friendships that are being built. And uh, I want to let you know, summer is just kind of a a shifting season. It's one of those times in which everything slows down, yet still stays really busy. Is anybody else like that? It's like, actually, I feel like we don't have to deal with the school stuff, at least for for our family in, in this season. But then like everything is busy too. It's like, it's a, it's a mirage. You get there and you think it's going to slow down and then it's like, oh no, wait, we're still on the hamster wheel of life. And, uh, and we get that. And so we want to, um, honestly, we, we launched two services back in September. It's been so good what God's done through this and just how it's opened doors to new leaders and new people to serve. Uh, but today I, I want to make a, an announcement about our summer schedule. Uh, beginning the last Sunday of this month, we're going to go to a one service reality for about 10 to 12 weeks. That'll be our summer schedule. Uh, I don't know that we'll do this every year, and so I apologize to those of you like, I love the first service, like it's mine, then we get to go to the beach early, but we're going to try to split the difference with our summer schedule. It's going to start again on our family service, which is our kids weekend. If you don't have your kids registered for kids weekend, get them registered. It's going to be the best we've ever, every year it just gets better. And then that Sunday morning, Tara and I will do some team teach, kind of helping um, us all work through just the craziness of family life and what that looks like. Uh, Whether you're a parent, a single adult, or wherever you're at, we're going to, we're going to talk through that. It's going to be a a fun day. So that Sunday, we're all going to be together. We'll have every single one of our chairs out and packed in with kids and families out of both services. And it's going to be a 10 a.m. service. So we're kind of moving everybody. Everybody has to move from 11 or 915, wherever you're coming from. Uh, Everybody's at 10 uh, for probably 10 to 12 weeks. And we'll launch it back in the fall, get back into our fall schedule two services. Sound good? Sound good? You guys game for that? Awesome. Yeah, you're pumped about that. We got a lot of reasons for this, but um, I, that, there's just been this picture in my head this whole time that God gave me, and, and really when we were discerning whether this is what we should do, it's just this picture of this giant slingshot, 
You know, it's things like you just pull it back. And it's going to be a time in which we naturally need to pull back. Uh, our, our groups are being pulled back. And we're just going to pull back in order to rest, like let some of our volunteers that have just been running at a high pace since two services, going to let them just take a, a little bit of a deep breath, a little, little later coming in for the band, for the production team uh, each weekend, uh, serving a little less often for our, our kids in our next-gen department, uh, our kids, our, our, our adults that are serving in our, our next-gen department. And it's just going to be a time for us to rest, but it's also going to be a time to reconnect. I, I know this, one of the struggles that's happened in two services is just a shift that our church has seen. It's like, oh, I don't get to see those people anymore. Where, where are my friends? Well, they're in the other service, and you guys miss each other, and, 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 and it's just tough. And that, that's just kind of where we've been for probably the past nine, ten months. And so uh, I, I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be really cool to all be together and just be a really exciting time for our church, just to pull the slingshot back, get ready to launch back into fall. Sound good? Awesome. You guys are, are you're on board. So uh, let's dive in. If you have been with us for the past couple of weeks, you, you know we've been started this series called uh, Koinonia and doing life together and what it means to do uh, life together. If you're new, let me let me catch you up if, if you haven't been involved. And by the way, I listened to Taryn's message. Like, actually, I watched it last Sunday. She killed it last week. It was like so good. So awesome. Like she was on fire. Just so much good stuff. I was like, I, I, saw, I saw the notes before I went, and I was like, I don't want you to preach that, because I want to preach that. <laughs> that's, that's really good. But um, So yeah, th- this series, this whole idea of what koinonia is, it's a Greek word. It's a Greek word, and it's, a, it's not just a principle. It's not just something that was an idea, and it's not just a word. It was really a part of the way of life for the early Christians, and, and something that we've lost, because usually this word koinonia gets translated to be fellowship. And when we think of fellowship, which is a word we never use unless we're talking about Lord of the Rings or the fellowship of the ring, or we're talking about like the after church like meal function. So we've completely gotten out of context what fellowship is. But in Acts 2.42, we see that the early church, they were devoted to koinonia. They were devoted to fellowship. It can be translated to mean participation, communion, uh, union, or the shared participation. Um, But ultimately, what we thought was fellowship is not. It's actually something far greater. And the most simplistic, holistic understanding we can kind of package this as is it's really about life together. That, That as believers, we don't just have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have a we have a communal relationship with Jesus. We're all of one spirit and of one body. That's kind of what we did right there when we broke the bread and came together. It was a really a declaration that we're doing this thing together. And so what that means, we've been exploring for the past couple of weeks and going to continue to for uh, a few uh, more weekends. Um, and, and today I want to I take uh, a couple of steps deeper in that. Uh, on mission trips, I, I don't like to take teams larger than 10. Like, it's just, because honestly, teams larger than 10 are just too annoying for me. Um, I know, like, I'm just being honest with you. It's just, I don't know if you've ever traveled with a large group, like through airports and through international airports and through immigration. It's kind of annoying to go through that with like four people, um, but it's super annoying when you're going through it with 20 people. So I just say I'm not going to do a team larger uh, than 10, but uh, yesterday we got into, um, I guess, Fort Lauderdale and going through the whole thing. And it literally, like we had like three hours in between our flights and we ended up like grabbing a bagel and then rushing to our thing. That's how long it took to get through that process. Um, And so it's just a reality, but then you have to grab your bags and you have to run through and, and we've had like three like younger kids, like under 10 and and, and two ladies who were uh, 60 and over, one was 75, and like they were like champs. Like they, like they were outworking the rest of us the whole week. 
But the reality is, is on this trip, like we have multiple bags and we're trying to carry all of these bags. And it's just frustrating going through these lines and line after line and season after season. If I can, can begin to translate this into our life and we've got all these bags and especially like Beckett's bag was getting too heavy for him. And so I had to keep carrying his bag and my bag and, and, and I was okay with my bag. But when I start carrying on his bag, it gets too much. And, I'm, and that's why I've got kind of a limit on this. And, and I think the same is true of our, our, our Christian walk. I think like we, can, like we start to do this life together thing. We start to do groups. Uh, we, we start build, building friendships in the body of Christ. And we start embracing this idea of doing life together. But then we realize, man, it's really frustrating walking through. It's really heavy. I, I, I can barely carry my own bags, let alone carry your bags too. And so eventually we're just like, I'm not taking a group more than 10. Like I just got my squad. I got my little, I got my group and I'm not going to get out of that. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to do life with people like I used to because it's, it's just too much. Not, it's not worth it. And so I want to go to a text in Philippians chapter three this morning that is going to start in one place and really end at the depth of what this means. And I want to help us begin to navigate what it looks like to do healthy koinonia. What it looks like to do this in a really healthy way, because I, I, think, I, I think we need this word. I think there's some wisdom that's going to come in here, and just three shifts that I want to look at that we all need to make. Each one of us, if we've made it already, great. If not, maybe this is a shift we need to make towards healthy koinonia. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. I want to read just about four verses, and we'll come back and, and go a few more verses towards the end. Okay, Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing a letter to the church, and this is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. That's the reality of his life. He's lost all things. And all that stuff, I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and koinonia in his sufferings, participation in his sufferings. Life together in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Do, do what? Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead, somehow reaching this, this uh, final destination. I, I love this text, but it's always puzzled me a bit that he wants to participate in Jesus' sufferings because that's not my cup of tea. <laughs> like I'd rather not participate in his sufferings. I'd rather not be crucified. I'd rather not be martyred. I'd, I'd rather not go through the struggles of this life. I want to go back just a, a little bit and, and, and talk about where Paul was, where he came from, and, and what that means for us today. But Paul was a Jew, and he was a good Jew. And he was not only a Jew, he was what they call a Judaizer, and he persecuted Christians. And he was like responsible for the first uh, death. This is fu- uh, actually something funny that happened on the trip. Uh, there was this like little little Peruvian boy who started throwing uh, rocks at Beckett and saying, America, an American, at him, uh, throwing rocks at him. And um, Beckett kind of came, and, and he, he ran away from him. Uh, it kind of made him a little more guarded through the week, honestly. But he came in, he's like, I got stoned today. <laughs> I was like... They tried to stone me, like, which in American 21st century is a whole other thing. But in biblical times, when you're doing missions, that meant a different thing where you could, you know, 
die from that. So it was just, it was just funny. Um, and, and that's the reality. Like right now in our day and age, like what it means to follow Jesus in America, if you go to different parts of the world, it means something very differently. It means something very differently. Like, like for us, like what that means, not what it should mean, but what it actually means in American culture is like I go to church and like I try to be a good person and I said a prayer at some point. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what it means. And I try to do good things. I try to be, I got, I've got Christian friends. Uh, I try not to do too many bad things. That's, that's kind of what we've, we've uh, watered it down to be. Uh, but, but in China, it means this, what Paul just talked about. Like, I, I consider my whole life garbage. Like, it, none of it's worth it. Like, whatever I would try to build, like, in, in, in any other previous life before I met Jesus, I, I just consider it garbage. And, like, I, I think we need to, to learn from these other countries. I, I was reading a, an infographic on social media the other day from a, a mission organization we support. And they were talking about in Iraq, in this one city in Iraq in which there's, like, a million and a half people there. There's 250 Christians. 250 Christians. Try to, try to do life together. Try to do koinonia there. Because they know when they say yes to Jesus, it, it means leaving everything. It means friendships being cut off. It, it, it means everything else. And I'm not telling you, like, you know, get rid of all your non-Christian friends. You know that's the absolute opposite of what we, we teach you to do to go out. But it, it means setting aside what I used to consider a gain is a loss. And think about this in your life, because I, 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 I know most of you in the room, and that there's, there's been a shift in your life of what you consider, used to consider a gain, like you see that differently now. Like when once like you, you were defined um, uh, by your status in social circles, you're not defined by that. Like that's, it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. When you used to be defined by, by what, what car you drove, like you're, you're not defined by that anymore. It doesn't, that's, it's, it's no gain to you. We've, we've shifted. And so just reflect on that in some ways and what God's done in your life. And maybe even deeper, we can go further with that today. And like, what, what are the things I'm considering gains now? Would you, would you sacrifice them for the sake of knowing Christ? Like how how badly do you want to know Jesus? How, how badly do you want to follow Jesus? Enough to participate in his sufferings? Uh, that's an interesting part that I, I want to look at for just a second that I've always thought is really, uh, they're connected, that somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead, which is like, I think he's talking about like the end when Christ returns and raises the church. But I, I think there's also something here in in the resurrection of our lives, and bringing new life here, but there's this koinonia in his suffering. So, so what, what is he talking about? How, how do we participate koinonia in his sufferings? We can always pray for a breakthrough. I think that's what we do when it comes to suffering. Like, we just always want to join through, like, God's got a breakthrough. God's got a breakthrough, but sometimes he's just got a breaking. Like, sometimes it's not a breakthrough. God's not going to work through the breakthrough. He's actually working just as much through the breaking. In fact, I, I think God works more through the breaking than he does the breakthrough. Like, I think there's moments in which he will fast forward the faith in our life through a major breakthrough. We're like, boom, and we just fast forwards our walk in him. But oftentimes, he's working through a breaking. And some of you might be in that season right now. You're just in a breaking season. You're like, God, where are you all in that? Where are you in all of this? He's, he's got you, right? where he wants you, and he's not, he's not punishing you, but he's, he's wanting you to know him and have the participation in his sufferings. 
Uh, Romans 8:17 says, if children, if we're children, then we're also heirs with Christ, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. If we do, like if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So it's the same idea. They're working hand in hand. We can't know the resurrection without also knowing his sufferings. And we, we always want to know the victory, but can, can, we, can we live in the pain and know that God's with us and that we can actually live together in that struggle and not push it away and be like, the baggage is too much. I'm good. I'm good. If, if we want to know Christ, are we willing to go that far? So I, I believe that we come to experience koinonia in his sufferings through two things. One, our own pain. You could list out your own pain in your head mentally right now. I was sitting down, I'll tell you a little more about this story later, with this guy, I sat and talked to him for about an hour, his name is Francisco, and Francisco is a Venezuelan um, who has uh, immigrated to, um, actually, he fled um, Venezuela uh, 11 months ago and moved to Peru, and uh, got, he was, he was re- really strung out, really in a bad place. Uh, he, he was separated from his family for 11 months, still is separated to this day. Uh, I spent an hour with him just talking about the struggle, the pain, and where he was looking for it in women. He was looking for it in, um, in, in alcohol. He, he was looking for it in all these places, just trying to find some kind of consolation for uh, his soul. And uh, I just sat with him for uh, an hour as he told his story and was moved by it. And... Um, and, and through that, I, I really began to, to encourage him that, hey, like, God's, God's going to use all this. Like, just, just look at this. You're actually drawing closer to Jesus in this. You know some of what he went through in being tempted. You know some of what he went through in being betrayed. Uh, you know what some of this is because he feels betrayed by his country. And so um, I'll just tell you that an amazing part of that is uh, through your giving, through your generosity, through the fundraising of this team, we're able to like bless the ministry there and leave uh, nearly uh, about $3,000. And so his family was supposed to come, and this is just totally an aside, his family was supposed to come to, uh, to rejoin him, a wife and two children um, from Venezuela in July, but the Peruvian government just put a stop on it as of June 15th, and that if you can't get into the, if you can't get into the country, like the borders are going to be closed, like they're not letting any more, um, anyone um, migrate there, and uh, so he was flipping out, and so through the money we were able to donate, we're getting his whole family there this week, and so we're pumped about that. Um, really pumped about that. Really, really powerful. I mean, that, that's, that's a story. That's a face. That's a name of this whole thing that we're seeing in our borders, that we're seeing in other borders. And so um, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to teach through that stuff later on what the, the Bible teaches on that. But uh, let, we're just going to be about it right now. We're just going to love uh, folks and take care of folks. So um, anyway, but, but I began to tell him that God's going to use this. So that's one way in which we come to know koinonia and his sufferings is through our own pain. But it's also in empathizing with the pain of others. When we come to connect with others, we're able to grow. Because I've never experienced that. I've never walked through that. But in that moment, I began to listen and just take in and process, what would that be like? And how can I serve him in this? Before I tried to fix it, it was just like, no, no, let's let's just sit in it. So our empathy and our genuine relationships with another and our own pain is really where we come to understand koinonia and his sufferings. We know Jesus through these things and who he is. Um, and so I don't think we've, we've cracked any code or went into something super deep uh, yet, but I want to I lean in and talk about three shifts that we need to make if we're going to have healthy koinonia in our life. Uh, the first shift is we must move from apathy to empathy. We must move 
Move from apathy to empathy. Apathy could be um, very well described in our culture through several phrases and, and, and through some different images uh, that we used to react to and now we don't as much anymore. Uh, the first time you heard about a school shooting, you reacted one way. And now you might act a little differently. Um, uh, the first time you heard about terrorism taking place in another country and, and you were moved by it, and now it's like, what are we going to do about it? You know, so what? What difference does it make? The first time you saw a homeless person for the first time and you're broken by it, and you're like, oh my gosh, that person's living on the street, and you're moved by it, but now everyone you drive by is just like, there's just another one. We just, we just drive by it, and we're, we're, we're unmoved. There was this uh, illustration of this cat um, and there was this man uh, who, who walked up on a, on a sleeping cat, and uh, he asked the cat, what are you doing? And the cat said, uh, nothing. I'm, um, I's a cat. Cats always do nothing. And uh, the, the man said, when are you going to get up? I don't know, says the cat. The hardest part of doing nothing is knowing when you're finished. Just sitting, just sitting. And I think so many of us, like, we got to know when, when are we going to be finished with the apathy? When are we going to finish and move from this place? When are we going to make this shift? Einstein had this quote that I think is so powerful for the church today. The world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. And the reality that I think we need to wake up as a church is that the church has sat by for far too long and has done nothing has done nothing for Francisco, has done nothing for the, the, those that, that are, uh, you know, the thousands that are in foster care in, in, our, in, our, uh, in our country, in our state. Like, we've done, we've done nothing. We've done little to nothing, and so we've got to come together and move out of this apathy. And, and from these mindsets, you probably heard your say, like, what does it matter? Like, what could I do? What difference could I make? What impact is it going to have? Uh, Romans twelve fifteen says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Actually, let's go a little further back. Let's read a little more. I think I got a little more on there, don't I? Yeah. Love must be sincere and hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then he goes on to verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. He's, he's teaching us about a lifestyle that's devoted to one another and where we don't say, nope, your bags are too much. This is a way in which we come to know and participate in Christ's sufferings is when we move out of empathy or move out of apathy and into empathy in which we share with the Lord's people. We share not just the highs, but we're willing to, to um, share the lows and to contribute. Like we talked about in, in uh, week one of this, the, the physical ways, the financial ways. And, and let me just tell you, let me just brag on you guys. They're amazing. Like it has been like nuts koinonia going on in the sharing of resources. It's been sharing toilet paper. It's been sharing vehicles. It's been, it's been just amazing to just watch what God's doing in this. Like it's just been like every day I'm getting a new text message about who needs this and like what? And just the needs are being met. Like so rock on church, rock on fathom. You guys are being uh, amazing. Uh, some of you have probably heard of uh, Brene Brown. 
Uh, she kind of got huge off of this TED Talk she did years ago, and now she's got a Netflix special because everybody's got a Netflix special. Um, so you could, you, if one of you want a Netflix special, you could probably make it happen. Um, so she's got a Netflix special, and, and she's just a brilliant mind, and she does a lot of teaching on this idea of empathy. If you were here a couple years ago when I did a message called Divine Empathy, you, you will remember this video, but I just showed a clip, and it was this little cartoon sketch uh, about empathy, and, and she kind of sketched this, this hole in the ground, and when someone's struggling, when someone's suffering, it's like they've fallen in the hole. They can't get out. Maybe they're dealing with depression or dealing with the loss of a sibling or a parent or a child, and they're, they're in the hole. I can't get, get out. And what often we do is we walk up on the hole, and we're like, man, that that looks terrible. You, you, you need anything? You know, like, what can I do? Like, I hope it gets better. Like, just think about it. Well, at least you got a skylight, you know? We try to silver line their, their struggle. At least there's a big skylight here. Like, you want a sandwich? I mean, just throw them a sandwich, <laughs> you know? Because we just don't know how to, like, empathize. And, and what Brene Brown really goes into is, like, there's a ladder there, and, and it's slowing down to, to get down the ladder and, and being with someone in their pain, to sit in the, the struggle of what the experience is. And, and like, I have, I have to make sure we get this. I have to make sure we get this because this is what Christ did for us. Empathy, like, there's a, there's a lot of words that are connected here, and I want to teach them very briefly, like, like 60 second briefly. First of all, compassion is the desire to relieve suffering. God is compassionate. He wants to relieve the suffering of his people. He gives us the hope of Christ. We're compassionate. It's in our heart. Like, we've got good intentions. That's the, 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 the desire to do it. Pity is the head knowledge. Like, oh, poor thing. I know that stuff. Sort of. Sympathy is the heart knowledge. Like, oh. Like, it's like more legitimate. I guess everything is, oh, but it's different. It's different in the heart and the head. Sympathy is heart knowledge. Empathy is both the head and the heart. Like, we understand because we've listened, because we've got in the hole with them, we felt the experience of that. Jesus is God empathizing with the human experience. And so suffering is a part of how we come to know Jesus. If we want the resurrection of the dead, uh, both physically when that takes place and, and spiritually here and now, we want that. But we also got to gotta koinonia, participate in his sufferings. And that means empathizing with one another and maybe not even praying for a breakthrough, but just letting God do what he wants to do in the breaking in certain seasons. So the second shift we've got to make is we've got to move from intention to action. Intention to action. Uh, we've, we've all had good intentions in our life. I can think of a handful of things over the past week that I had good intentions to do. Intentions to call this one person. Intentions to, to, to give that person something they needed. Attention, uh, um, uh, intention to set up a meeting with this person to really check on how they're doing. But some of those didn't go to action. It's this apathy moving to empathy because empathy is going to lead us to action. But we've got to move from this place. Even like, oh, we, we feel it. Like we actually feel the pain, but then we just, like we just stay with our intentions. And we have good intentions, but how good are good intentions? They're really no good at all. <laughs> like they really are no good at all. Like what do they do? Like, I mean, tell, like if, if you got something, I don't know what good intentions do. They don't do anything. So what good is it that we get to a place of empathy if we don't act and do, do anything? 
Uh, there's a church, and, and Lee and I were just talking about them. It was something that God laid on his heart and uh, the, something that was a part of this message as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there's this, this church known as the Macedonian church. You hear me talk about this church because they were like awesome. Like We hear about a lot of churches that had a lot of drama going on, a lot of struggle. I don't see anything bad about the Macedonian church. Like They're just awesome. I'm just moved by them because uh, they were um, in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. We won't read through the whole text, but I'll show you a little bit of it. Because uh, what Paul was doing is he was going around and raising funds for missions. Like, we want to go church plant, and we want to go do all, all of these things. Um, and so he's going around to all these churches, going to Rome, he's going to Philippi, he's going to Ephesians, and he's saying, hey, if you guys will donate towards this, we can help plant church in this area. We can help get this going. And so he's just doing that out of a heart. And so he comes to the Macedonian church, and he knows how broke they are. These people are in extreme poverty. Like in Cambodia, people live on $40 a month for a family. Like 40 US dollars a month is about what they live on. Is that about correct? Yeah, uh, Carrie was in there for, for, for nine years doing missions. Um, and uh, it, where we just came from in Peru, $300 a month. The whole family lives on $300 a month. So here, th- these people were, were poor. They were extremely impoverished. So much so that Paul's like, I can't in right conscience ask you to give to this. Like, I can't even ask you to participate in this. And entirely on their own, this is the Macedonian church, they, they gave beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for, with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our ex- expectation. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. They, they're like, no, 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 we want to give. Like, it was in their heart. Like, and what I talked about in week one, that none of this is physical. This does not come out of like, oh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. It is a gift of God. It is a grace of God that allows us to give from that type of place. Like, no, I want to. I'm going to go home and I'm going to empty the change jar so that needs can be met. I'm going to slow down my schedule. I'm going to adjust things so that I can empathize, so that I can act on the things that I'm feeling because I know that God's grace is on me to accomplish them. That's what this is. And what, what an example we get from the Macedonian church. They didn't have good intentions to give. They, they went home and they, there was action behind it. They, they did it out of love. They pleaded with the privilege. I, I heard this, this phrasing, pray until you know, listen until you feel, Feel until you act. Feel until you act. Like, move us, God. Oh, God, move us from intention to action that we may feel. We may feel what, what our, our brothers and sisters are going through, that we may feel and, and recognize what Christ has suffered for us. Every time we break bread, bring us back to the pain, to the anguish. Every time we're sitting before a brother or a sister and, and, and someone has turned their back on them, may we identify in that as someone who has done that to us. And we may connect ourselves to Christ who has done the same. It's, it's Jesus that connects us in this. And we can grow closer together and doing life together in this way. I, I know what you're thinking. Like, that's a, that's a lot, Pastor. I, I can't do that with every single person that I come across. Of course, you can't. That's how we get to this really unhealthy place. Apathy is an unhealthy place. Intentions are actually not that impressive. <laughs> they're not that impressive. They actually can be a negative thing if we don't move them to action. We just get apathetic. So I, Andy Stanley said years ago, just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. The reality is that most of us can do more than for one, 
but it's, it's a mindset, it's a principle that I, I can do for one what I wish I could do for every single one out there, and so we know we're doing our part. The third shift we need to make, and the band can come, is we got to move from bearing alone to bearing together with Jesus in the body. We got to move from bearing, <clears throat> uh, move from bearing alone to bearing together. I want to uh, read through Galatians six verses two through five. Talk to you a little more about what this means. Carry each other's burdens. I, I want you to, I want you to catch just the kind of the juxtaposition that he says here. Paul does when he's talking to another church, church at Galatia. Carry each other's burdens, and then this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You're actually fulfilling what God's asking for you when you pick up somebody else's bag and walk with them. I love Taryn's illustration talking about refreshing one another, refreshing one another, carry each other's burdens. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they, they deceive themselves. For each one should test their own actions. You should test like whether you're, in, you're moving into action, whether you're actually experiencing empathy. Then take uh, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should carry their own load. So which is it, Paul? Are we supposed to carry each other's burdens or are we supposed to carry our own load? And the reality is that we're supposed to do both. Like, there's, there is a possibility, like there is in our national government right now, that when we're bearing and sharing responsibilities, there are people out there who, who desperately need government assistance in a time, but then there are people out there, as you know, who abuse that, and they're not, they don't carry their own burden. They're, they're physically able. They just choose not to get a job because they don't want to get a job. They choose to, to live in that. Paul is teaching a similar idea for the church, that when we're bearing, like there is this thing in which we bear one of those burdens, but we also, we got to carry our own. We got to carry our load as well. To bear means to, to carry, um, take up and order to carry, to put it on oneself. And it just took me back to the airport over and over again of just throwing on Beckett's backpack. And it's so funny that before we left, I was like, uh, before we left from Peru, I was like, Beckett, if you'll put all this stuff in there, I actually gave him more stuff because my bag was just packed. Our other bag was like four pounds over. Thank God they just let me through it. I had to pay 150 for the the extra heavy thing, uh, which was nice. So I threw all this extra stuff in his carry-on, which made it really hard, and he did so good most of the day until he was like, Daddy, I need you to take this. And I was like, oh, man, now I have to carry everything that I told him to put um, in there. And there's a, there's a challenge there. Um, but I know in, in our life today that we need to share what we bear. Nobody should be going through what you're going through alone. That's what koinonia means. It means that we do, we do life together. It's not just a physical, practical sharing of resources and needs. It's, it's emotional sharing of life together. And, and I, I just know there's probably some of us that we've been doing alone for far too long. No one knows about what you're going through with your child. No one knows about what you're going through with your spouse. No one knows. No one knows like how lonely you are. You just, you just come and paint the smile and it's all good. It's all good. You're bearing alone. And it's, it's, that's not koinonia. That's not what we're to be devoted to. We're devoted to this life together and bearing it together. There's going to be times in which you carry the burden for them. And this time, let somebody carry it for you. Let's bear it together. It's so much lighter. Taryn put this so eloquently last week that we come and we refresh one another. I keep alluding to our experience down in Peru, but the pastor there, his, his wife is away on a, at a conference and He's got three children, and he's leading a large movement um, of evangelism right now in their region, and that's going to draw probably 50,000 people, and um, 
in just their region alone. And uh, so he, he's really burnt out. And thank God, like there's one of um, a couple of our girls, one of them from here, another from our team, uh, that are staying there and able to serve him and serve his family and help lighten that burden, help make meals and all that stuff. It's just like just God's timing, just God's timing, taking care of that. And, and, and that's really where I want to challenge you this morning is to to take advantage of the God moments, the God's timing. Like he didn't bring that person to mind for no reason. He, he didn't bring them across your path for no reason. Like there, there's a reason for it. Take advantage of it. Like don't do it alone. Like what you're going through, like let somebody in, let them know. It's not just bearing the burden. It's bearing, B-A-R-E. It's bearing the burden. You gotta, you gotta let them know. You gotta let them know it's out there. This is what's really going on. At the cross, Jesus bears our soul. He bears the weight of the world. And I believe a, a litmus tel- test of how healthy we are in this koinonia thing, how we're growing in this is how quickly when we are receiving the burdens, the burdens of everyone else's world and what they're going through, how quickly can we take that to the cross of Jesus and know that it's really not our burden, like we just actually get in the yoke with Jesus to carry the burden with them. It's not all on me. I'm not the savior. I'm, I'm just a servant to be faithful, to help bear the burdens. I want to wrap this up in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, just moving the text down. 3, 12 through 14, and we'll close. Not that I've already obtained all this. He's just continuing the idea. Not that I'm there yet in participating in the sufferings, or I've got to think I've obtained all this, or, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I'm going to take hold of that which Christ has took hold of me. What he, like he did for me, I'm going, to, I'm going to take hold of it and walk, run with it. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to take hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind. I strain toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want you to stand. I want to pray over you that we would embody that. Like we would press on. We'd forget what's behind. We'd look into what's ahead and embrace all that God has for us in this season. God, we love you. We give you praise and glory just knowing that You sacrificed on our behalf, God. You suffered on our behalf, God. Across this room, I know I'm standing with brothers and sisters who who desperately need to make a shift in one of these areas, maybe all these areas. We gotta, we're stuck in our apathy. Like we just don't feel it anymore, God. We just don't, we're just not moved anymore like we used to. God, stir us up, break us up, that we may be shaped and and molded in your image, in your love, in your grace, in your compassion. God, let us not sit with just good intentions, but God, let us move into action and open ourselves up to the one that is in front of us to to minister and and to be a vessel, God, of your grace and of your love. God, and also today, I I pray for those in this house that that are running the race alone. That's how they feel. In a room of crowded people, they they feel alone. When everything's going good for everybody else, we're we're just alone, they're whole. God, I pray that we would be you with skin on for somebody today to love, to embrace, to hold, to say, hey, we can bear this together. Like you can't go through this sickness in your family with your children. You can't bear it alone, but, but together, like we're gonna get through this. God is our source. He's our rock. He's our provider. So God, we give you praise today. I pray that you'd have your way in these moments. God, let us respond to you. Let us shift God, only through your grace can we come to empathize. Only through your grace can we walk in this action. Only through your grace can we, can we bear our soul. 
We love you today, God. Draw us near. In Jesus' name, amen.